Uh, before I get started, I wanted to, uh, I was so excited to see all those young people uh, be received into our church, and I hope you don't mind, um, but let's give them a hand, just letting them know we welcome them. And the second thing I wanted to say, where's John? John, this is perfect. I don't know what you were talking about last week. I, I don't see anything wrong with this. God meant what he said. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Start with verse 17. Uh, we're going to discuss verse 17 through verse 20. But I want to read the entire uh, first part of Matthew chapter 5. But before I get to that, uh, this section in Matthew starts a new section. We've spent time on the Beatitudes. And now God tells us, uh, through this sermon, how we are to now live. You'll notice that Jesus uh, starts with an introductory statement that um, what he's going to say about the law and the prophets, he's not going to try to abolish it, but he's going to fulfill it. There are six statements that follow this introduction. And each statement begins with this phrase. You have heard that it was said, and then it says, but I say to you. Now the reason Jesus is saying this is because he wants to explain to us the full extent of the law. We already know that the law was given not so that we can enter into a relationship with God, but because we're already in a relationship with God. Even in the Beatitudes, Jesus made it clear in verse 7, he said that we've already received mercy. In verse 8, he called us pure in heart, and we understand that all of those things are benefits that we have because of the work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not saying that as you enter into uh, how you observe the law, that this will prove that you are a believer. No, that's not his intent at all. What he wants to do is explain the law, and he's perfectly um, um, qualified to talk about the law, and he wants to fulfill the law and make a statement that he has. Uh, now, let's look at Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 1, but we'll concentrate on, on verses 17 through 20. This is God's holy word. Follow along, if you will. Seeing the crowds, he went up into the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be saltiness? How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And now our text. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. To the reading of God's holy word. Let's pause for a second and pray. Almighty God and loving Father, thank you for communicating your word to us. Thank you for preserving scripture so that we can hear Christ's on word, his sermon to us. What you have to say is important, so guard the mouth and the mind of this speaker so that I do not add to or subtract anything from your word. Guard the minds of listeners so that we may hear from you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, let's look at the law giver. The law giver. Look back with me at verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We know because of the testimony of John in John chapter 1 and Jesus in uh, John chapter 10 that Jesus and God the Father are one. And so when we read that God the Father did something in the Old Testament, it is right for us to understand that Jesus did the same thing because he and the Father are one. You can't separate them. So as it relates to the law, when Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, the first thought that I had is we understand that Jesus was the author of the law. Now, in this text, there's a mention of law and prophets and refers to not only the law that God wrote with his finger on Mount Sinai and gave to Moses, it also relates to the law that God gave Moses to give Israel. 
It's the moral law. It's called the mishpatim. And God said, don't, don't think that I've come to abolish them. He'll say, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And it sounds like God is saying, don't even pay attention to the law. I'm giving you something new. And that's not at all what he's doing. What he's doing is he's explaining the law. Now, in the next several weeks, we will go through these six pericopes, these six sections, and each section has something to do with the law. Now, it's really interesting. Three of them have something to do with the Ten Commandments, and three of them have something to do with the law that God gave Moses. The first section deals with the Sixth Commandment. The second section deals with the seventh commandment. The third section deals with Deuteronomy 24, 1 and 3. Uh, The next section deals with the ninth commandment. The fifth section deals with Leviticus 24, 20. And then the last one deals with Leviticus 19, 18. But I have to tell you, only part of it. Uh, when it says, I, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Most of us can't even find in Scripture where God told Israel to hate their enemies. We understand that to be something that the Pharisees added, one of the 600-odd laws that they added to the moral law to explain the difference between loving your, your neighbor and, and then you would show hate to your enemy. But Jesus says in all of these, he says, I'm going to tell you this is written for your benefit, but I have come to fulfill. He said he's, he's not come to do, he didn't come to abolish. Let me tell you what abolish means. It's kataluo. It means to completely invalidate something which has been enforced to do away with it, to say it is no longer relevant, is no longer important. What Jesus is saying here is there's no place where I will ever say that my law is no longer relevant. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. He said, but I'm not coming to say that it's no longer relevant. I'm here to fulfill it. And I love this definition. To fulfill means to... Um, to show the real meaning, to show the true and complete meaning, the true and complete purpose of the law. And he says that don't assume that I'm abolishing the law with these statements. I'm not abolishing it. I am fulfilling it. Now, Jesus is really qualified in speaking about fulfilling the law and the prophets. Do you remember what happened in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, after Jesus' death, two of his disciples are discouraged. And they, they're going back on the road to Emmaus. And they are talking to each other. And Jesus joins them. And um, they don't recognize him at first. He hides his identity from them. They don't know who he is And the Bible says that starting with the Law and the Prophets, Jesus explained to them all that the Law and the Prophets had to say about himself. And the Bible says that after a while, when they got to the house and 
um, they were just about to eat, that it was revealed to them that this is Christ. And let me read to you what they said. They said to each other, this is Luke chapter 24, verse 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? And it was as if these disciples said, didn't we sense something different about him? Even as he talked to us, didn't we sense that he knew what he was saying? Didn't it stir within us? Um, the, uh, the Greek is a heartburn, a, a, a burning of the heart. And what they were describing there was what, they ex what Jesus is describing here. He fulfills the law. He makes sense out of the law. And when you look at the Old Testament from the view of Jesus Christ, you can't help but say, oh, now it makes sense. So Jesus is going to spend the next few verses talking about things like murder, uh, greed. He's going to talk about things that relate to where people are living. And he's going to share with them how he fulfills all of those promises. The lawgiver meant what he said on Mount Sinai, and he uh, underscores the significance of the law in this sermon. Now, before we get to the lawgiver's promise on, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, I wanted to tell you something that I, I almost forgot to mention. When it relates to keeping the law in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is not talking about his disciples keeping the law. Jesus is talking about the fact that he kept the law. And he's going to underscore that for a purpose. I want you to remember that. He's going to underscore that fact for a purpose. The lawgiver's promise. Look at verse 18. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is uh, accomplished. One commentator said this about the Old Testament law and prophets. Of all the law and prophets remain uh, normative and relative for Jesus' followers, but none of it can be rightly interpreted until one understands how it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every Old Testament text um, must be viewed in the person of Jesus and in his ministry before it makes sense. And they're right, because Jesus Christ fulfills all of the law and the prophets. You know that statement? The law, not one iota, not one dot of the law will be done away with until it is accomplished, until it's fulfilled. One of the reasons that Jesus said that is because he was the one who fulfilled all righteousness. He was the one who kept the law perfectly. R.C. Sproul is one of the uh, um, scholars that identified the difference between passive obedience and active obedience. The passive obedience of Christ when he took our sin upon himself, the one who was sinless, 
and spotless, the perfect Lamb of God and his act of obedience, the fact that he obeyed all of the law, he never violated any of God's law. And I'm going to say that again. He never violated any of God's law. I go back to when I was a student at Word of Life Bible Club, a Bible school up in Scroon Lake, New York, up in the mountains of Scroon Lake, New York. I remember sitting in, in a chapel and having the opportunity to dedicate my life to the Lord and saying to the Lord, I can remember this, uh, I will follow you, I will love you, I will honor you, I will not um, break your laws. I actually said that. I will not break your laws. It didn't take long <laughs> before I lied, before I, I looked at my fellow students who had better clothes than I did, and I wanted those clothes, I coveted those clothes. It didn't take long before I broke the law. Uh, most of you know me enough now so that when I um, say this, it won't be a surprise to you. It doesn't take me long driving in Augusta <laughs> to violate God's commands in my heart. I don't do anything, but in my heart, it doesn't take long to violate God's commands. Yet Jesus Christ, in all of his life, lived perfect obedience before God for a purpose. None of the law was wasted. All was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us the purpose of the law. I want to remind you that uh, God did not set us up to fail when he gave us the law. Uh, you know that? that? God didn't set us up to fail. He didn't set us up and say, I knew you couldn't take it. I knew you wouldn't make it. There, there, was a, there was a purpose to the law, and here's the purpose of the law. The law was given to us so that we, would, we could know what it looked like to live in the presence of a holy God. He actually said uh, in the beginning of Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 1 and 2 reads this way, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They were already redeemed. They were already taken out of slavery and entered into a relationship with God. The law did not ensure that they would enter into a relationship. God had already brought them to himself. And now he's saying, this is how you live in front of a holy God. My first time going to a, um, an expensive dinner where there were more than one fork and one spoon, they had um, things all over the place. I had no clue what any of these things meant. Um, uh, there was small forks and medium fork and a large fork, and I'm probably not doing it in the right way. And a knife and spoons up here and... I had no clue. And so what I did was um, I looked at the person who knew what they were doing. And when they, when they picked up a certain spoon, a fork, that's when I did it. When uh, that, that thing about uh, there was a cleansing palate thing, uh, uh, I think it was sorbet, 
I thought it was um, dessert, and I thought, wow, dessert early in the meal. But there was a purpose for that. And so I watched the person. I watched to find out, how do you do this? How do you relate in a dinner like this? I bring that up because Paul says in Galatians 3.24, the law operates like that. He said this, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The, the word guardian means one who guides and directs and shows concern for. The one who says, this is how you live before the Lord. This is how you live before the Lord. This is how you live before the Lord. And I'm telling you this because I care about you. I love you. I want you to live a life of fulfillment before God. This is how you do it. Now, what we understand is none of us could keep the law perfectly. But Jesus did so that his righteousness would be fulfilled in us, would be granted to us. Christ's keeping of the law, not a dot would be taken away until all of what Christ accomplished would have been um, uh, granted to us. Now look, if you will, to the last portion, the lawgiver's warning. Look at verses 19 and 20. And we'll end with this. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me share with you three principles that comes from these two verses. Number one, God's law can't be ranked. We, we can never look at God's law and say, there are commandments I like, and there are commandments I don't like, and the ones I like are the good ones, and the ones I don't like are, are, are the bad ones. Uh, what, what God says, if you break one point of the law, you are guilty of the whole law. What's the speed limit outside on Green Street? What is it? 35, right? 35. So if I go 36, am I breaking the law? Who said no? Because <laughs> I think you're right. See, what I think is five over is okay. <laughs> Forty is the right. What, what Jesus is saying here is we can't say I get it almost right and I'm keeping the law. I'm doing mostly well. Uh, but God said, if, if you keep, for whoever, let me just read it to you, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all the law. That's in James chapter 2. That's how serious this is. And that's how significant the fact that Jesus Christ kept all of the law. There was never a time... How in the world 
that Jesus, I don't understand this, when he threw over the money table or the tables of the money changers in the temple and said, this house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. How in the world did he do that and still not break the law? I still can't get angry without sinning. And that's how magnificent our God is. So much so, would you, would you turn with me to uh, Gen- uh, Revelation chapter 5? I'll close with this. Revelation chapter 5. It, this, is, this is a scene that's played out in heaven. As you know, uh, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the story of the work of Jesus, the, the fact that he is a lion and the lamb of the tribe of Judah, and he wins. I just told you the whole plot of the book in just uh, a couple of seconds. It, it's a story. It reveals who Jesus is. In the fifth chapter, there's a tense scene in heaven. Let me read it to you. Look at verse 1. It says this. Then I saw... Uh, in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written, um, and on the, excuse me, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a, a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? almost as if the, everyone in heaven was looking around. Who can do it? And nobody was found. And John said this, uh, and he said, um, and, and one in heaven, uh, and, and no one, look at verse 3, and no one in heaven and, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found to open the scrolls. And John is saying this, we are doomed. Nobody is worthy to open this scroll. Nobody is worthy. No one was perfect enough in heaven and on earth to open this scroll until an angel said, there is one. He is the lamb of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy. Jesus Christ is worthy to open the lamp. And let me tell you how excited those 24 elders, we have about 40 elders in, in this church, and we are all serious and thoughtful, and we, um, we hardly get... We are just... Calm. That's just who we are. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just who we are. And I can imagine the elders in heaven were more staid than we are. <clears throat> they got so excited. Listen to what they did. They sang a new song. 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. I submit to you, if our session and one of our worship services got up and started singing and going, Worthy is the Lamb! Worthy is the Lamb! Worthy is the Lamb! We would go, whoa, <laughs> there's something to this, wouldn't we? Because we know that's not us. The significance of the fact that Jesus Christ was the only one worthy to open the scroll, is, it's because Jesus Christ was the only one who fulfilled the law. He kept the law. And his, the benefit that he earned, he gave to us. So that now we may enjoy the work, the hard work of Jesus Christ. So now as we look at the law, I'm excited to learn how I can live in front of a holy God in a way that honors him. Not so that I would earn favor with God, but because I'm already beloved. The price has already been won. So much so that we have a new identity. This is how God refers to us. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The significance of the law is twofold. Number one, Jesus Christ met all of the demands of the law for us. And number two, we may now live in light of God's commands with joy because they're not a burden. They're our guardian. They teach us how to live, how to sit at the banquet table of God with full joy and confidence, how to, how to, how to relate to one another in a way that demonstrates that we really are a holy nation. We really are a royal priesthood. We really are a people of God's own possession. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the 24 elders' song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest. And we know that because of the faithful work of Jesus Christ, we have hope. Thank you, Father, for Jesus' words in Matthew 3, where it, where it said um, that he had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Thank you that Jesus Christ fulfilled all righteousness and help us to live out our call as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation for the glory of and praise of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.